Um, I'm good to go when you are. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Hey, everybody. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this Wednesday. It is October the 4th. Fat Bear Week is officially here for those of you celebrating and working on your, uh, oh, gosh, what's the word? Um, It's not grids. Um, What? Brackets? Brackets. Thank you. Thank you. I totally lost the word. Tells you how much I play fantasy sports. Uh, Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Wait, what brackets are we working on? Like the Fat Bear Week brackets. Oh, oh, fat, oh, Fat Bear Week brackets. Sorry, I thought the fact I, that I okay. Could. I actually thought you were. Th- I thought okay. I don't actually think you're that much of a nerd, but I thought you were talking about Speaker of the House brackets. Just <laughs> which would have been. It was not so an unreasonable supposition. Let me it, say it's not. But I don't think there are enough people who actually no, want to touch that job with a twenty now. foot yeah. pole to fill out yeah. a bracket. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no which which gets to your news item. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, so a couple of things. Mm. Obviously, uh, I watched wrapped as much of, of political Washington did and politically minded observers and everybody who's interested in the news because it's just a huge and enormous story with far reaching ramifications. But there are two things I want to bring up. Number one is the sheer pettiness of leadership of the Republican Party. I'm I'm absolutely gobsmacked that Kevin McCarthy, through his speaker pro tem, Patrick McHenry, yesterday afternoon, like within an hour of losing the gavel, ordered Nancy Pelosi out of her Capitol building hideaway office, right? So there are very few, relatively speaking, actual offices in the Capitol building proper. Most of them are in House and Senate office buildings, which are a mm-hmm. three-ish to five-ish minute walk away. But all senators because the Senate is special, I guess. Senators get special hideaway offices inside the Capitol building proper, and senior mm-hmm. members of leadership in the House get those mm-hmm. hideaway offices. Pelosi had one, Steny Hoyer, uh, the minority, um, well, I guess, what is he now? Is he, is he the minority leader? I don't even know what he, no, he's not. He's like number three in minority hierarchy, but yeah. he's, he's been in Congress for a very long time, and he was Pelosi's number two when she was Speaker. They had special hideaway offices in the Capitol building itself. And yesterday, McHenry, at McCarthy's bidding, threw them both out, literally sent an email that said, please retrieve your belongings uh, by the end of the day today. Uh, the offices will be rekeyed tomorrow. And I'm just, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. I'm gobsmacked. It is a courtesy usually extended by speakers to other leaders. And I just, I, I truly, I can't comprehend it. So there's that. But then the other thing that that I'm I'm having, sorry, do you have thoughts on that or do you want to? Because I, I mean, also like Pelosi out. wasn't even there; she was in California oh, yeah. for Diane yeah. Feinstein's funeral, and yeah. like yeah. that was tacky. Yeah, yeah. I don't even I don't even tacky. know what to do with that. It's just it's just tacky and and it's very very small. Um, here's the thing I'm more troubled about though. Lots of commentary late yesterday and today on how Democrats had a responsibility to the institution to vote to keep Kevin McCarthy in office. And I'm having a really hard time wrapping my brain around that. I I have been for a very long time and and until fairly recently, I was a, as Trump was shredding norms right and left and and the Republican Party, sorry, mosquito, because it's 90 freaking degrees in Los Angeles today. 
uh, I have been, uh, as Trump was shedding norm, shredding norms, I have been a, look, if you want the norms upheld, you have to uphold the norms um, mm-hmm. guy. But in the last year, two years maybe, maybe a little longer, I've changed my thinking on that because the norms are being shredded right and left and the Democratic Party, which is the norm-abiding party, right, um, mm-hmm. uh, has been left to play the fool. And, and as the Republican Party in the House of Representatives imploded yesterday, I'm not sure that I think the Democrats actually had a duty, institutional or otherwise, to save them from myself. And I'm curious as to your thoughts. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. I am sure that they did not have a duty to the institution to do that because they're not in charge of the institution. Okay, go ahead. I think it was unrealistic to expect Democrats to save McCarthy, given that he had just put uh, the impeachment inquiry um, Mm -hmm. out there, which pissed off the Democrats. And Mm -hmm. he did not stick to the debt ceiling deal. He did a lot of things that upset the Democrats. And so just from pure politicking, why save him? Um, Duty to the institution, this argument that I I just I don't think that argument like I I agree with you in terms of it not being their responsibility to save the Republicans from themselves. But I also don't necessarily know that it would have made a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's just say Mm -hmm. the Democrats did save McCarthy. Right. Then what? There'd be another motion to vacate and they would continue to have these motions until eventually he would get the boot. So why would the Democrats put themselves out there to save him once knowing they would have to continue to save him? And from what I've seen of the reporting, he didn't ask and he didn't offer anything. And they didn't. The Democrats didn't ask for anything either because uh, and then he went on the Sunday morning talk shows and and blamed the Democrats for uh, potentially almost shutting down the government, which didn't endear him to anyone. So I I agree that it um, wasn't the responsibility of the Democrats to whip the Republicans in line or to save the Republicans from themselves. But I also don't necessarily think it would have made a difference. And I think the Democrats saw that, too. Like, why save him now when it's clear he he doesn't have the support of his party? Um, So that's my thought on that. Go ahead. But but no, better put than I did. I I agree. I just it it bugs me for I don't know, whatever reason. It bugs me for some irrational reason. But that's that's my sort of semi rant. I don't think that's irrational. I think um, it kind of gets to one of my two news items, which is Mm -hmm. this piece in The Washington Post that looks at what this moment means for the democracy. And we've had a lot of heavy moments about where we stand as a democracy recently. We've had, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of unprecedented allegations of corruption in the Supreme Court. We had our previous president encouraging people to, you know, attack the Capitol building Mm -hmm. and continue to, you know, deny that he lost the election. The fact that he's been, you know, indicted so many times and and is facing criminal and civil charges and yet still looks likely to be the nominee for um, the Republican Party. These are all very serious moments for the democracy. But what this article is highlighting is that this eight Republicans 
out of the hundreds of members of the House have been able to shut down Mm -hmm. an entire portion of the federal government. And if this impasse continues and we do end up with an actual lapse in appropriation slash partial government shutdown, Mm -hmm. that means this very small group of people um, will have hamstrung the entire federal government. And one of the things that this um, piece points out, and I would really encourage people to read it, I'm just going to read this paragraph. The eight Republicans who revolted against McCarthy represent districts that do not look like the rest of the country, according to a Washington Post analysis. They are, on average, 71 percent white compared to 59 percent of the U.S. population and 8 percent black compared with 14 percent of America. Their districts are also deeply red. They averaged a score of of plus 12 Republican on the Cook Partisan Voting Index, a measure of a district's partisanship. So... These members in very safe Republican seats and knowing that they are probably going to win the primaries because in these very safe Republican or very safe Democratic Mm -hmm. seats, these elections are decided in the primaries. And you have kind of the most, um, I hesitate to use the word extreme, but the most dedicated and engaged members of any party voting in the primaries. So they're not risking much by Mm -hmm. doing this. But this is, um, I believe they had the number up um, here, something like they represent something like 1.8% of the United States. And they've stopped everything. Hold on, let me find it. Yeah. The rebels collectively represent just 1.8% of the country, all in safely Republican districts. And so they're not risking themselves. Um, And the cost is to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't see a clean or productive way out of this. And... I think it's about to get worse before it gets better, unfortunately. You know what I think about a lot, actually? I thought about this a lot a lot in the Trump years, and I've mm-hmm. been thinking about it the last 24 hours, is how the world is looking at us now, right? Yeah. Uh, and how we appear to our allies uh, and those who, who are not our allies. Because, wow. You we look know. messy. We look real messy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I had this other article just about AI. I know we talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. but this other piece in the Washington Post kind of really reset um, my thinking about it, particularly when it comes to the impact of AI on jobs. Um, sorry, I'm trying to open this up. I'm yeah. using my iPad today, so everything is like off. Um it highlight it tells the story of this company that had outsourced its call center, right? Its customer service lines, like many American companies do. And he did not like his employees and how they were doing the job. He felt like they were not giving good customer service. They weren't as deeply engaged and, and he wasn't satisfied. And he tested out uh, an AI chatbot power and got it, gave it a boost with chat GPT and found that It worked better and customers seemed happier and he fired everybody. 
Hmm. And it was like something like three dozen people. And as this article goes on to explain, you know, we've been talking so much about the impact of generative AI on the white collar workforce here. But a greater threat is the educated workforce in the developing world that is doing the things like the call center work that is doing the things like data analysis. I think um, I'm not sure if it was tech or if it was Jennifer Pack who did a story about um, all of the gaming studios in China mm -hmm. that are already starting Jennifer, to replace yeah. artists with AI. And, you know, yes, there is a threat to some components of the workforce here, but now you have like governments in Bangladesh and, you know, mm -hmm. the Philippines really being concerned that they are going to have massive job losses from especially all these outsourced call center jobs. And something like, I think the article said something like India got 10% of uh, some section of its revenue from income from these sort of outsource Western companies outsourcing these kinds of jobs to India. And this is an educated workforce, uh, educated English speaking workforce that may be soon out of a job because yep. of this technology. So I thought that was yeah. super interesting. And no, know. it's a great article. All right. What's, what's your smile? Uh, mine is health related. Uh, there is a new malaria vaccine. There has already been one malaria vaccine, which was a huge victory. Everybody's very happy about that. Malaria is, you know, terrible, terrible yeah. and a, uh, you know, bane on the existence of so many people, particularly children and babies in the developing world. And uh, I believe GlaxoSmithKline, yeah, developed a malaria vaccine, uh, the first one that was backed by the, w the World Health Organization called RTSS. But now there's a second one developed by the University of Oxford that has also been recommended for use by the World Health Organization. And they're particularly excited about this because this one is easier to make at scale and cheaper. Mm. And so, so far, I'm going to read from the BBC here. Mm. Um, the world's largest ma vaccine manufacturer, the Serum Institute of India, is already lined up to make more than 100 million doses a year wow. and plans to scale up to to 200 million doses a year. So far, there are only 18 million doses of RTSS, that's the GlaxoSmithKline vaccine. Also, the WHO said the new um, tool costs is going to cost like two to four dollars, as a, which is about half the price of the existing vaccine. So this could have major life-saving consequences all over the world. Um, according to this, in 2021, there were 247 million cases of malaria and 619,000 people died, most of them children under the age of five hmm. and the vast majority in Africa. And it was a fixable problem and a bunch of people threw a lot of money at it. Yeah, and it. now we have a solution. And That's that cool. made me smile. Yeah. That's very cool. Very, very cool yeah. indeed. Uh, yeah. Mine is uh, uh, totally different, but uh, cool on a, on a different level. And, and I, as, as I read this today, I'm like, didn't we already know this? But I guess not. Maybe we had had inklings of it. Piece in the Wall Street Journal today talking about the spacesuits that the Artemis three astronauts are going to wear on the moon in fingers crossed 2025. Turns out mm -hmm. that Prada, yes, that Prada is going to help work <laughs> on those suits. So the subcontractor from NASA, it's a company called Axiom, 
has engaged the services of Prada to work on the suits because they have great experience with different kinds of fabrics uh, and using materials. So that's cool. It says this article does that the Italian fashion house will help make the suits more comfortable. If you know anything about the Apollo programs, you know how uncomfortable those suits were for the astronauts mm-hmm. on the moon. So, yeah. uh, so I just thought that was cool. And, you know, two more I years and cool. hopefully we'll be on the moon. And, Sorry, you know, We'll have some good-looking astronauts. Well-dressed. Well-dressed <laughs> right. astronauts. And, and hopefully they will be better looking than those bleepity bleep SpaceX suits. I hate those SpaceX oh. suits. I hate them. I think they're terrible. <laughs> I think they're terrible. Yeah, I, don't even, I think but I yes, probably I, blocked I should them have from my better memory. things to worry about. I should have better things to worry about. You know what? We do have better things to worry about, which is yes, why we, we have the Make Me Smile section of the show so that we can actively force our brains into lighter things because the rest of it's pretty grim. So I'm here for the Prada-designed spacesuits. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. That is it for us today. We are going to be back tomorrow. And if you have a, a juicy or interesting piece of audio you would like us to include in our Thursday show and get some responses to it, please send it over. We're at makemesmart at marketplace.org and also at 508-UB-SMART. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Seeker Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Jake Cherry. Our intern is Neil Farshabandi. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.